Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. I'm Dana Perino, and this is Perino on Politics. It's not only the candidates who are preparing for their appearance at the Reagan Library later this month. I, along with my colleague Stuart Barney and Univision's Ilya Calderon, will be hosting the second Republican primary debate that airs on Fox September 27th, 9 p.m. Eastern. You're going to hear a lot about that. And as I've said, the purpose of this podcast is not only to inform and prep voters and listeners on the latest out of the 2024 presidential cycle, but also to get myself up to speed. So joining me today to fill me in on the latest in politics is my friend, Mary Catherine Hamm. She is a columnist for Outkick, and she hosts a great podcast called Getting Hammered. In 2017, she was a Harvard Institute of Politics visiting fellow and taught a course on free speech at the Kennedy School of Government. She's also someone who has experience with debates. She co-moderated ABC's 2016 Republican presidential debate in New Hampshire. And she is a mother of four, an all-around great woman and a good friend. Mary Catherine Hamm, welcome to Perino on Politics. Of course. So glad to be here. I'm honored. So we're talking the day after Labor Day. And next year, the day after Labor Day, all of us will say, and now America is really going to start paying attention to the election. (laughs) But I do feel like there is heightened interest in what is happening, partly because we keep getting these polls that say that these two candidates that are the front runners, or I guess Joe Biden being the president in a position of reelection, and former President Donald Trump, who's in a commanding lead over the rest of the field, they're both very unpopular. And people keep saying we would like another choice. But where do you think things are right now as we head into the fall? No, it's interesting because it does feel like a bit of a market failure, right? If both of these candidates are disliked to the degree that we are seeing in these numbers, uh, then why isn't there another option, right? And I think that's still percolating and that's that's what people are feeling. And there's also, I think it's important on left and right, the dedicated politicos and people who are political junkies, people like you and me even, right? We're the weirdos. Mm-hmm. Not every- mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's important to remember that. I talk to people all the time about my, my idea about people who are really into politics, who I love, I'm surrounded by them. But people who are really into politics are like people who are into the daily plot points of days of our lives and have been <laughs> for decades. And they're just desperately trying to convince all of their normal friends that there's something really important happening every day on days of our lives. And their friends are like, I don't know if I tune in once every four years, I feel like I kind of know what's going on with Hope and Bo. Uh, that is what normal people see politics as, right? And so it will take a little while for things to settle. And it This is, I think, why you see these two choices that are not very satisfying is because it's a different group of people who are making their voices heard on that versus the the diehards who are kind of 
slotted in for Trump and Biden, respectively. But I think there's room to move here. And I think the debates are where some of that movement can happen. I did love Hope and Bo. I mean, I really did. A lovely couple. My mom said that when I was a toddler, when I heard the Days of Our Lives music, I knew that was when I had to go take a nap. It was like Pavlov's (laughs) dog. I'll just fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you and everybody listening who has qualified for the second GOP debate so far. Governor Ron DeSantis, Vice President Mike Pence, Governor Chris Christie, Vivek Ramaswamy, Ambassador Nikki Haley and Senator Tim Scott. President Trump, of course, would qualify, but he has said he's not going to do these Republican debates. The people in question right now, Governor Doug Burgum, Asa Hutchison and Perry Johnson, Uh, They haven't qualified for both the polling and the fundraising. And I'm wondering, do you think that this field could actually grow by the end of the month or do you think it will shrink? Well, here's the thing is I, I felt like at the last debate, there was a chance for it to shrink, which I think is eventually what must happen in order for anyone to take any bites out of Trump's lead. Um, because you sort of have to have more room to go a little bit more head to head. The problem is the people who didn't shine in that debate, who I like as orators, and I think they are people who have great social IQ, uh, namely Tim Scott and Doug Burgum, uh, both of whom I enjoy listening to. When there's so many people on the stage, their style of connecting with people didn't come through. Mm-hmm. But the problem is both of those people are really good at raising money and or have a bunch of money. So there's no reason for them to leave. So you've got this sort of stasis because everybody performed decently at that debate and those who weren't so great can stay in it. So I think we're the winnowing is is not nigh. <laughs> what could be interesting is that this debate is happening perhaps right at a time when you have an imminent government shutdown if they don't get to a deal and a possible impeachment inquiry. So there could be news on that front, not to mention all the other foreign policy news that could happen at any moment as well. Right. Yeah. What the heck are you going to ask about, Dana? There's such a shortage. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Topics. I think they're annoyed with me. Well, they didn't say that they're annoyed with me, but they said, send any questions you have so that they could start this document. Well, believe me, I said some. I said many, a lot. Many. <laughs> but, and I do have a lot of questions, which I think in the second segment of this podcast we can talk a bit about because I think some of these things are on your mind as well. Another thing that happened over this sort of holiday weekend or the last week of August is that Ron DeSantis, a governor of Florida who has proven to be extremely competent executing the state government powers in order to deal with things like a hurricane, he did not meet with President Biden when Biden went to witness the hurricane recovery efforts in Florida. It was sort of reminiscent of Chris Christie, who did hug President Obama after Superstorm Sandy, which I understand when you're in a situation where you have people who are literally on a life's edge after a storm like that, that the president comes and you're grateful that you would give a hug. That makes sense. But it really was like a picture that people couldn't get out of their minds. Do you think Ron DeSantis was thinking about that this weekend? I think that was probably part of it. Uh, He also, by the way, the last time uh, he was in the wake of a hurricane, it was Ian last year, which was devastating in some parts of Florida. The president came and Ron DeSantis stood behind him. And the president, at one part of uh, his remarks, told the story about his 
house burning down, which is exaggerated and or lied about frequently in the in the wake of disasters. And I would give Ron DeSantis an Oscar for standing behind him with a straight face and not objecting to that while he was doing it. So perhaps that was on his mind as well. But I will say, unlike me, I'm not staying above the fray, but I thought it was nice that both of them, when asked publicly about this, didn't make it about politics, even if that's right. a part of the I, thought, I noticed that too. They both sort of rose above it and like basically, like, we're just yes. not getting a picture, guys. That's it. <laughs> no, it was a rare, it was a yeah. rare moment where I had hope yeah. for our politics. I was like, that's the right thing to do, guys. Um, they can both get their jobs done and do the help that they need to do without meeting in person. Yeah. I think that's fine. Last topic before we take a quick break. The Wall Street Journal had a new poll that came out and it reconfirmed two things. One, Joe Biden's overall approval rating at 39 percent in this Wall Street Journal poll. That is not good. It's about also Ooh. where President Trump's is. Um in addition to that, 73% of people said that they think Joe Biden is too old to run for president. And before Labor Day, the AP had a similar poll result, 77% saying they think he's too old to run. And then also 58% of people saying the economy is the most important issue, but well over well over 60%, almost 70% of people say the economy is not in good shape. So when you look at that poll from a Biden perspective, what do you think? I mean, these numbers are not good. I mean, if you look at his disapproval numbers versus approval numbers, if you flipped them, he'd be a political genius, right? That's how bad it is in the other direction. And then the the numbers of about people agreeing that he's too old, what you know this well, Dan, it's not often that the American people agree to the tune of 70 to 77 percent. No, I mean, I, honestly, I don't know if you could get people to agree on that with, with that figure. When, I mean, maybe you could say, does everyone agree today is Tuesday? You could get 77 percent right, right. of people to say that. So this is an interesting thing. One, I, I should have mentioned, I, I wish that Trump would come and debate because I think voters deserve it. And I think it would be important to see him engage on that stage. And one of the reasons he should engage and I, one of the reasons I know why Trump supporters uh, make the argument that like, hey, he's the guy, even with all these tribulations, is because of some of these matchup numbers where you see how devastatingly bad Biden's numbers are. And they think, well, my gosh, why wouldn't we back this guy? He can take him on. Um, and some of the other candidates in the race need to be making prosecuting the case that he can't do it. Uh, while they're making the case that he that they can. Uh, and you don't see very much of that. Maybe if you are on the stage, you would see more of it. Mm. But the numbers in this poll where where he can match up favorably against Biden, partly because Biden's numbers are so bad, is part of what's fueling that. Also interesting, because one of the things that's happening is that blue state governors who are now struggling with the migrant crisis, they're starting to make their voices heard. And that's only going to get louder. Indeed. So lots more to discuss. That wraps up this segment. But before we head to the break, I've got a candidate quotable. Which presidential candidate is responsible for the following statement? I came to the conclusion that America can do for anyone what she's done for me. If we focus on restoring hope, creating opportunities and protecting America. Stay with us. We'll have that answer coming up. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Welcome back to Perino on Politics. This is the time when I'm going to turn over the microphone basically to you, MKH, because 
I always wonder, what am I missing or what am I thinking about? I should say, I think that you're one of the best writers of our generation by far. Can I say our generation? I know you're younger than me. (laughs) But you're also a mom of four lovely children. You also have, do you have two dogs or one dog? One dog right now. I'm sure the family would want more, but this is all we can take. You have a lot of beating hearts that you're caring for. (laughs) And I just wonder what is on, what is on your mind? What might I be missing? Yeah, so I think there's a couple things that aren't talked about enough in the race and covered in the media enough. And I think, first of all, and this is partly on my mind because, you know, I had kids who went through the schooling crisis during the pandemic. Um, I had a, I, my poor my poor kid in her first year of school got regular public school and then pandemic public school on Zoom and then pulled out of that to do homeschool for a year and then back in another school. I mean, it's and the reason I say that is not because woe is me. We, you know, she she thrived. We were able to make that happen, and we were lucky. But I saw so many other people suffer through that. And one of the things I don't think we talk about enough is the hit we've all taken from those pandemic policies. And I don't mean just the pandemic. The pandemic had its own bad effects on people. But pandemic policies where people couldn't go to funerals, where kids couldn't go to school, where they were isolated where older folks were isolated for long periods of time and all that that's done for learning loss and for mental health crises. I do not think we, or, and, and drug use and alcoholism. Can I, I add think we, the fact that there's yeah. a major worker shortage in almost every industry? Yes. Like and I think that of- part of it is that you look at, I just did an interview with some women that work in childcare and the struggles that that whole thing is happening. I mean, there's so oh many problems gosh. with childcare. It's a big issue. But one of the reasons that they're worried about the American Rescue Plan funding going away is that they had to increase wages because right. there were so many people didn't come back to work after COVID. Yes. And there's, there was this idea that we could sort of just turn the societal faucet off and then turn it back on. And I think it was incredibly damaging. And one of the reasons that uh, I listen very closely to someone like Governor DeSantis or Governor Kemp is because I think they had the right take, which is preserve as much liberty as possible, preserve as much commerce and well-being and prosperity as possible while protecting people the best you can. Because we are a country that values freedom itself. That is a good. And I think we're learning how much that's a good and how much we let go for a couple of years and how damaging it was to people. So we do talk about learning loss, but the the unions and teachers and, and school boards in particular sort of evade blame for that. We talk about mental health crises, but we don't really connect it to these things that we did actively to people. And public health mm-hmm. and policymakers need to talk about that as a holistic thing that was done to people. It didn't just happen. Um, and it, I know it's, it's tricky to talk about because it's depressing. A lot it's of people want to move to on. What's interesting is, yes. I, obviously, we didn't live or, uh, during the Spanish flu, but when the COVID was first breaking out, I wanted to read more about what it was like for people to go through this um, Spanish flu pandemic. And there's, I like to I read historical fiction, and there's hardly anything out there, hardly anything. Yeah. And one of the things I learned from a professor that I talked to is that after a pandemic, a lot of people just don't want to talk about it ever again. Yes, and that makes sense to me. Uh, and I sort of avoid the tendency to move straight along because I am afraid that if people don't reckon with what happened and people don't pay some sort of price who did, who made bad decisions, who made the wrong risk calculations, who vilified risk calculations, frankly, um, that we will end up in this position again. And especially for children, we just can't go mm-hmm. there. So I, and I, and I think it's a, a thing where a DeSantis, for instance, has a record of success that he can talk about. 
But again, it's hard to talk about it without sounding like you're only talking about the past. You do have to sort of focus on the future and say, I want things to be run well. That's why I imagine that Joe Biden just wants everyone to think that we've moved on. Yes. Except then they do crazy things like suggesting we should all wear masks again. And it's like, do you think this is a good play? Yeah, I'm not happy. That's not happening in my world. Um, (laughs) You talk about the trust in government from your perspective. What do you look for in candidates when you'll see like the media, there will be lamenting that nobody trusts the institutions anymore. Well, yeah, for good (laughs) reason. No, I I think that I think that politicians, uh, public health, media, too, because it certainly has a crisis, a trust crisis of its own. You have to be introspective and realize that some of the distrust is well earned, well earned. Uh, There is a reason that folks in Maui are looking around and going, I don't know if I believe a word these people are saying to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can trust them to help me in this situation. Um, There's a reason that people look at their school boards and go, I can't trust you with my children's education anymore because you abandoned us when times were really tough and I don't know what your object is anymore. I cannot put that in your hands. Um, These things are well earned. And it makes me sad because I don't often see people who are interested in rebuilding that trust whether it's public health officials, politicians. One thing I think that you can do to rebuild that trust and is absolutely essential for Americans to get a little bit of it it back very slowly is governing well. And it's so boring, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but but it actually can be wonderful to watch in practice. And I I think the the wake of the hurricane is just a recent example. And there are others. I'm not sort of just picking that because it's DeSantis, but it's a very obvious example of someone knowing what the levers of power are knowing what the various agencies of government do, having thought about what they can do in a crisis and putting them to work. I mean, after Ian, I think one of those bridges in between a wash, two washed out island or, or land masses was back up in three days. That is that was I remember shocking story. because when it first came down, they said it'll probably be at least I think they said three weeks. Mm-hmm. And two days later, Bill Hemmer and I were reporting on the aftermath on America's newsroom and we're looking at that causeway. I'm like, is that old picture? No, the bridge was yep. back up. And so I see that. I actually just interviewed the mayor of Casper, Wyoming, Bruce Nell. And the night before America's Newsroom, we always get a list of who our guests are going to be the next day, but no topics attached. It's just a list of the guests. So I saw the mayor of Casper's coming on. I thought, oh my gosh, that'll be great. I wonder what he wants to talk about. Well, they have a homelessness problem and a wow. growing crisis in Casper, Wyoming, which I don't know how... Anyone thinks they can survive a winter in Wyoming as a homeless person. Um, But I was thinking about how difficult it is for a mayor, right? You're on the front lines of government, but I was very impressed with him. So I take your point about looking at somebody who is a leader, public service with their heart in the right place, their brain functioning and wanting to make a difference. And I wonder if somebody like that can stand out in this field. Yeah, I hope so, because look, it is what I'm looking for in a candidate, and it's what we should be looking for in candidates. And I think sometimes the issue with our politics is that the way you run for an office uh, has a completely different skills skill set than what it takes to be good at doing the job. Uh, and that's a thing that we're going to wrestle with always, I think. Um, but to have those two things together is ideal. Uh, and, you know, policies are important and the competence of government is important when it exists occasionally uh, because it is used to serve people. That's why I would like it to function because when you're building that bridge or when in the case of this last uh, hurricane, uh, the governor 
the governor's office tweeted out that uh, there was a list of Expedia hotels that would take pets for when you're fleeing the hurricane. That's something that takes forethought. You think to yourself, oh, there's a lot of people who won't leave without their pets. So mm -hmm. we need to give them a, a way to have their pets with them. And that's planned out. And you have an agreement with the hotel groups that they're going to do that. And you're serving those people and you're serving their pets, which I know we both care about, Dana. And we uh, care so much. And, we do. Yeah, yes, I always think that's, about that's, them. Those are moments where, you know, it warms my heart a little to see the functions doing what they're fun what they're supposed to be doing. Well, and the place that the third point before we take a break is about inflation and right. just what people are dealing with. I know that the rate of inflation has come down and the White House really wants a lot of credit for Bidenomics and they're frustrated that the public just doesn't seem to feel like the economy is as better as they think it looks on paper. But people really do not feel that way. And they've got long memories. They really don't. And this is the thing that stands out to me when I talk to people who aren't particularly political, my my non Days of Our Lives fans. Uh, when I talk to them, what they notice is the disconnect between people telling them, either media or the Biden administration, that the economy is great and the money they're spending at the grocery store. That is what they feel every week. And, I, you know, Mark Zandi, uh, an economist, recently noted that people are paying $709 more than they did two years ago. People remember two years ago. Every month. And they remember, they rem yes, every month. And they remember wow. that it's like a small mortgage payment, what they're outlaying now. And they feel that. And I think it's just when you climbed Mount Everest on costs and then you've come back down to base camp, you can't tell everybody they're at the beach because right. they're not. Especially they don't for younger like people who are trying to buy a home. And it's just so out of reach for many of them. And I understand how some of them feel like, okay, so I got robbed of the years from COVID. Maybe career mm -hmm. stalls. Maybe they have young children. They're struggling on childcare. They might have aging parents, and they still can't buy their first home. Yeah. So it's, I it's hear a, their frustration. Yeah, and I think that Republican candidates look. Trump is talking about 2020 and his own legal tribulations. Biden's talking about Bidenomics and trying to put a smile on this thing that doesn't feel very smiley. GOP candidates can and should be the people who connect inflation woes to people's real life problems and in, in economic news to people's real life problems, because that is over and over again, what people want them to talk about when they're polled. So, uh, and president Trump does that. that well. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. When he's not talking about the other stuff. He yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Which is why I want him to come to the stage. <laughs> yes. We would love to have him. We'll see if that happens. So, okay. Before we go, here's the answer to your candidate quotable. I came to the conclusion that America can do for anyone what she's done for me if we focus on restoring hope, creating opportunities, and protecting America. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Don't go away. More Perino on politics up next. We're back with Perino on politics. Now, before we wrap everything up, let's look ahead. So we've got the debate coming up, but there's some other things that are happening right now. And a little bit of it has to do with Capitol Hill where you have the possibility of a government shutdown and Republicans seeming to think, well, it's all going to go our way this time in terms of right. public perception. I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure about it either. And this is one of those ways that I think, you know, you don't want to get on the wrong side of one of these shutdowns because as much as I said, look, competence can be boring. Perhaps this is the way that competence becomes sexy again is Maybe we shouldn't be in these last ditch efforts to run the government in just a barely functional way. And let me be the candidate who sh maps us away out of these constant feeling 
uh, brinksmanship battles, right? That I think that's something that people actually do crave, but it's a very hard thing to do because it requires competence and it requires people to think ahead and plan, which is not something uh, that government does super well, at least the at least the actual Congress. The other thing is we know, just thinking back to Clinton's impeachment and Trump's impeachment, is that when a president is impeached, the political apparatus around them and their supporters, even if they're not thrilled with them, they tend to close ranks. Mm -hmm. They protect their own, right. right? And so we saw it with Clinton. Impeachment helped his popularity. His numbers went right. way up. Uh, we saw it with Trump. And now there is a real push. And you could say meritorious for sure, if you want, but impeachment is a choice. And there are some on the right who say you should impeach him now. President Trump pushing Republicans to impeach him now. The thing is that there is such a slim House majority for Republicans. I think there's only five seats. And there are 18 Republicans who won their House seats, but Biden won their districts. Right. So that means that Biden did better than Trump in those districts. They won those. But the Republican was able to squeak it out. There's 18 of those. And they believe that because their elections are going to be very tight and they're already being targeted by Democrats for flipping, that McCarthy is going to be in this position of maybe he won't be able to call for a vote on impeachment right. and get that to pass. He said he would have a vote. Maybe he decides not to have the vote and deals with the PR hit from that, which I guess is survivable. What do you make of all that? Well, he's survived a lot, so, yeah. so he has a couple things under his belt. Look, right now, Republicans are sort of driving towards doing both for him. Um, now, you can argue that both of those things are worth doing. And I think there's a, a totally reasonable argument that they are. Uh, certainly many of the things that Biden has been involved with, and Hunter Biden, of course, uh, are worth inquiry. And I think I think uh, Senators uh, Johnson and Grassley for having undertaken that many years ago, the, the media was sort of and much of the media was sort of laughing at them for having done so and thinking it was so silly. And now we have all this actual information about what could amount to actual corruption and has some pretty shady stuff going on. So I think these are things are worth inquiry, but I think you're right that you got to walk that line, Dana, and realize what you might be handing an opponent when there might be other ways to go about it. I don't know what they're going to do. I really don't. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Because in the meantime, you actually have government that needs to get done. You have a lot of foreign policy things popping up. President Biden is about to head to the G20 meeting. And that means a lot of countries are going to get together. And there's the war in Ukraine. There's the rise of China. There's the China and India tensions. Tensions. There's North Korea sending Kim Jong-un to go meet with Vladimir Putin. And in the meantime, you have several coups happening in Africa. I call it the coup contagion, plus the struggles of our southern border. Before I let you go, what do you hear about immigration amongst your friends, your circle? I mean, is it high high on the list of things they're worried about? So when it comes to non-political people, not I don't hear about it a ton, but I do think there's a general sense that, hey, this seems a little out of hand. Like, what is and I, I think the hypocrisy of cities that have declared themselves sanctuaries until the moment that they must be sanctuaries uh, sort of is very is very obvious to people who aren't very involved in politics. Uh, they see that and they go, hey, wait a second, maybe maybe the spillover here is an example of what the rest of these border populations and cities have been enduring for a long period of time. And again, it speaks to competence. 
to serve people, you have to competently run the government. And that is not what is happening right now. How's the family? Uh, everybody's good. Mm -hmm. uh, we did some back to school stuff, but I got the two babies at home. So uh, we, we have a lively time when it's not nap time here as well. About, I bet your days go by fast. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Well, enjoy all of them. I'm thrilled for you and your young family and send you all my best. Thanks for being my friend today on Perino on Politics. Thank you so much. I but before it. I let you go, there's a little gentle trivia. Okay. I've got oh, three no. potential <laughs> topics. You get to choose between presidential potpourri, candidate LinkedIn, and debate debacles. Ooh, let's do candidate LinkedIn. In order to put himself through college, this presidential candidate worked as a chimney sweep, making $40 per chimney. Number one choice, Doug Burgum. Number two, Mike Pence. Number three, Dick Van Dyke. I love Dick Van Dyke, but the answer to this one is Doug Burgum. It is Doug Burgum, the governor of North Dakota, one of the candidates indeed. Thank you so much, Mary Catherine Ham. Great to have you. And everyone have a good week. We'll see you next week on Perino on Politics. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.